Bandwidth for Changelog is provided by Fastly. Learn more at Fastly.com. Error monitoring is provided by Rollbar. Learn more at Rollbar.com. And we're hosted on Linode servers. Head to Linode.com changelog. This episode is brought to you by Command Line Heroes, a new podcast from Red Hat. In this podcast series, you'll be hearing true epic tales of the developers, hackers, and open source rebels revolutionizing the tech landscape. Here's a preview of the second episode, OS Wars Part 2, Rise of Linux. Okay, imagine for a second that you're Microsoft in 1991. You're feeling pretty good, right? Pretty confident? Assured global domination feels nice. You've mastered the art of partnering with other businesses, but you're still pretty much cutting out the developers, programmers, and sysadmins that are the real foot soldiers out there. There is this Finnish geek named Linus Torvalds. He and his team of open-source programmers are starting to put out versions of Linux, this OS kernel that they're duct-taping together. If you're Microsoft, frankly, you're not too concerned about Linux, or even about open-source in general. But eventually, the sheer size of Linux gets so big that it becomes impossible for Microsoft not to notice. The first version comes out in 1991, and it's got maybe 10,000 lines of code. A decade later, there'll be 3 million lines of code. And in case you're wondering, today, it's at 20 million. But for a moment, let's stay in the early 90s. Linux hasn't yet become the behemoth we know now. It's just this strangely viral OS that's creeping across the planet, and the geeks and hackers of the world are falling in love with it. Discovering Linux was like gaining access to a secret society. Programmers would share the Linux CD set with So everybody knows how this story plays out, right? Everybody listening to the show knows about open source, knows Linux, and you know how this story plays out. And what's important to think about is that this little thing called Linux has such a huge impact. It started somewhere. And that may be you today. It may start somewhere with you today. But to hear more about this story, you got to listen to it. So true tales of makers who are transforming tech from the command line up. Open source rebels. Subscribe or get your podcasts or visit redhat.com slash command line heroes. Welcome back. This is the Changelog, and I'm your host, Adam Stakoviak, editor-in-chief and founder of Changelog.com. And I want to share something awesome with you. We've been working so hard on a brand new version of our site. Head to Changelog.com right now. I promise you, you will not be disappointed. If you love our email once a week, you're going to love everything we've been doing. It is the foundation we're building upon. News and podcasts for developers. Head there now. Subscribe today. On today's show, dare not talk to Kevin Awanke, the founder of Gitcoin. Gitcoin is a platform to monetize or incentivize work in open source software. We talked about Gitcoin and how it sits at the intersection of sustaining open source and cryptocurrencies, two topics we absolutely love. We covered their history and their roadmap, their decision to leverage the brand name of Git, bug bounties, funded issues, Web3, MetaMask, and the future of Gitcoin and how open source benefits. So, Kevin, Gitcoin sits at the intersection of two topics that we've been tracking for a while now. The first one is sustaining open source, and the second one is cryptocurrencies and blockchains and all that jazz. 
Mm-hmm. So let's start with the sustainability side of Gitcoin. Why is this a problem that you're personally interested in solving? Yeah, that's a that's a great question, and I love starting with why because I think that everything sort of flows from that. But uh, I've been a software developer for the last 15 years. I have a degree in computer science way back in 2006, uh, and uh, since then I've built my entire career off of open source software and the GitHub ecosystem, which I think is like a pretty generational thing. Uh, mm-hmm. If I was born 15 years earlier, I probably would have been doing a lot of Microsoft stack stuff and a lot of open source, or sorry, closed source stuff. Uh, but my career has been built upon Python and Django and Nginx and uh, Postgres tools like that. And so uh, those are all open source, open source projects. And uh, at least the pattern that I've seen with my own open source projects, if you go to my GitHub, you'll see that there's about 15 of them, is that they kind of, they kind of shark fin in that the interest really peaks when I when I get a fit of inspiration. I put something out there, build a small community, uh, and then something else happens that I'm interested in and I move on. Uh, but the bug reports in the community relying on the software doesn't end. Uh, so by using blockchain for incentivization mechanics and to uh, sustain open source and to delegate tasks to the crowd, we're meant to try and fix that problem a little bit. So you're doing it uh, with Gitcoin. Give us the give us the elevator pitch of, of what this is and and what it does for people. Yeah, sure. So uh, Gitcoin is a portmanteau of GitHub and Bitcoin, and uh, what that means is uh, we take any GitHub issue you already work on GitHub, and we allow you to incentivize that issue by attaching a cryptocurrency bounty to it. So uh, if there's some bug on a repo in open source that I'm relying on uh, and I can see that that issue board is, is, is overwhelming or it's, it's got a lot of issues on it, I can place a cryptocurrency bounty on that issue in order to incentivize the repo maintainer to turn around the, uh, the scope that I would like turned around preferentially. So it adds incentivization mechanics to open source software. And uh, let's see, the community is about... 1,700 people at this point. I'd say that people join Gitcoin, uh, A, to make a little bit of money in open source, but also just to learn about blockchain with a set of peers that are also excited about Ethereum and Bitcoin and the Web3, the evolving Web3 ecosystem. Cool. We'll definitely unpack the Web3 uh, topic here soon. Let's talk about the first time on the show, too. Web3. Nobody's ever said that yet. That's right. We're, We're cracking it here. You started the web 2.0 show back in the day, didn't you? Yeah, the so yeah, that's an interesting uh aside there. The the web 2.0 show obviously came around with web 2.0, a lot of gradients, yeah. a lot of uh rounded corners we used to always say and uh, mm-hmm. yeah, that was a fun show Ajax. started back in 2004 and I think it ended around 2009. Okay. Maybe we'll have to get the you know, get the web 3 show going there after you this. Go. What do you think? Bring it back, man. I just find it so amusing that you're describing the, like the way you define web two is rounded corners and gradients. Like <laughs> for me, it'd be iOS apps and social media, but you know. Oh really? I think iOS came after Web two point oh. I think yeah. Web two was for me the epitome Ajax. or the start of it was Ajax, specifically Dig.com. Okay, so you had like the democratization of content. Dig.com uh-huh. was huge, and they had their little uh, Dig button. 
And the mm-hmm. first time I remember this very distinctly, I clicked that dig button and the counter update without, without the page reloading, I lost mm-hmm. it. I flipped out. I was like, what is this magic? Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know? And that was when Ajax just yeah. became the bee's knees. And to me, that's, that's what 2.0. But definitely Adam speaks to the design style back then because he's bringing a designer's eye to the game. Yeah, for sure. Uh, I forgot about dig.com. Wow, it's it's been so long. Uh, yeah. You know, Reddit is where it's at. Reddit was like the number two back when when dig was like the number one content aggregator of that of that era right. so times yeah, have kind of self they kind of self-destructed i was anti-reddit because i was such a dig uh fanboy that i skipped yeah. reddit went straight to hacker news and then hacker news became a cesspool so i went back and found reddit and i'm like okay i have i got a few cesspools to hang out in and that's the current state of affairs at least wow. in my life yeah interesting so web3 Web three. So we'll 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 table that for a second. Well, let's get to the name Gitcoin because Adam, you and I were arguing about yes. this, and mm-hmm. uh, we were searching for like at least twenty minutes. Like, what is is it really a coin or not? Right, yeah. because you said you know people can place bounties with cryptocurrencies, and so the assumption that I made, and I was searching right. for it, I was wondering the current you know sale price of the GIT coin of Git, looking for a token and a ticker symbol and all that. And uh, to to be clear to the audience, and you can explain uh, some of the mechanics there, Kevin, is that there's there's no Git coin. It's just mm-hmm. that portmanteau or two of Git Hub and Bitcoin or Git and Bitcoin. Yeah. But there's no Git coin. Yeah. Um, and that's actually a, a question that we get a lot. Uh, and you know, I don't know how many how many of your listeners are familiar with the ICO phenomenon, but there's this there's this phenomenon in blockchain right now uh, that's, that's called ICO, and it stands for Initial Coin Offering. And the way it works is that if you have an idea for a startup you want to build in the blockchain ecosystem, you typically, the, the standard has become you publish a white paper describing the idea, and the white paper also includes a specification for something called a token sale. Uh, and tokens are just... Uh, unique assets that are available and trackable on the blockchain that entitle you to some right related to the project. Uh, So if you had like a distributed file storage network, then you could uh, release a token called Filecoin that would give you rights to store information on that distributed file network. It's like a very basic example of what a token is. Uh, And so so we've kind of gone through this last year in which token sales have become really, really hot. People are 100xing their money on some token sales. Uh, and and people kind of expect a blockchain project to have a token and a token sale associated with it. Um, I, I'm, uh, you know, I have 15 years of startup experience and I've never seen uh, anyone ever raise $50 million, $80 million uh, without even having a product to market right. yet. And so just like spiritually, it kind of felt wrong to back a token, back Gitcoin with a token when there wasn't even a network. You know, I'm talking about this fall when I was putting the project together. So what we decided to do is self-fund for a little while and um, and build a community and reach product market fit. And it's possible that there will be a token down the line, but I think that it's really important to have a culture that's focused on building things and learning about the ecosystem instead of like you go on the telegram channel for some of these some of these tokens and in in all they talk about is the price of the token it's just mm-hmm. it's just like 
the it, it kind of like poisons the culture i think if you if you tokenize too early so that's sort of where the project is at uh but you know it's something that we're trying to work out with the name is how do we capture the the conciseness and the spirit of the project with the name but also let people know that there's no token it's just a network yeah. that's built around building we've been camping out in this sector for a while now and have have never really had deeper conversations like this on the show other than the Ethereum show and the shows we've done around blockchain and Hyperledger. Mm-hmm. Um, but then you just said tokenized too early, which I had never heard that phrase yet. So I guess if you're on the in, if you're where you're at, maybe that's a mm-hmm. often thrown out, thrown around phrase. Um, yeah. But maybe another thing to talk about might be, you know, the attachment to the brand Git, right? It, yeah. We've seen some brands use it. Obviously GitHub is the most influential user of a Git based business brand. And mm-hmm. there's several others that have come and gone or still exist. GitLab is another one that's a direct competitor to GitHub. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, what, what's your attachment to, you know, what's the financial ramifications of that? What are some of the downfalls? What are some reasons why you chose the name Gitcoin or even, you know, get involved anyways? Why is, why is that thing? Yeah, well, I mean, I think that, uh, you know, there's there's obviously the attachment to get the version control system uh when i when i moved from cvs to svn and then over to git uh in, with version control it was just kind of those like one of those like mind exploding kind of moments to to see how easy it was to do branching and merging with the git software and uh you know i think that's doubly important given the framing that i gave you earlier about open source software powering hundreds of thousands of uh technical careers and open source software being a path to middle-class life for, for millions of Americans, uh, and probably tens of millions of people worldwide. Uh, so, I mean, I think that, uh, there's that, uh, there's obviously the, uh, the sort of like action oriented way that you can use the coin with a double entendre, you're getting coins, uh, which I think is cool, but, uh, mm-hmm. yeah, so I mean, and, and, you know, I think that there's, uh, as you, as you mentioned, there's GitLab, there's Git, Hub. There's another project out here in Colorado where I'm based called Git Prime. And I think that, uh, you know, hopefully we don't see any fatigue or, uh, you know, any of these projects kind of at each other's throats because of the the mutual use of the of the word Git. It's kind of becoming an overloaded term. Isn't Git itself trademarked and owned, copywritten by Linus or Linux Foundation or some legal entity that would own the rights to that? Yeah, it's something that uh, when we were starting the project, we talked to our friends at another project that had used the Git trademark, and we had worked out sort of a scheme in which we we had thought that we can use that and still be in good legal waters. But mm-hmm. uh, it's I'm trying to get, you know, I, it's not that easy to email Linus, believe it or not. So I'm <laughs> trying to find a way to, to get in touch with them. and. Uh, yeah. Well, A, I just think that, you know, they're the spiritual ancestors of a generation of open source software. And I'd love to get in touch with them and see what they think about using blockchain for incentivization. Uh, you know, if you read the Cathedral and the Bazaar, all the stuff about uh, being open to the point of promiscuity and delegating everything, like I think that a lot of that came from Linus. So I'd love to get involved in 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 that respect. And and yes, obviously the the trademark stuff is something that we're looking at also. Cool. So the the general flow of this conversation, I want to talk about really the idea and the model uh, first, mm-hmm. and then we'll dive into the technicals and the details. And you can unpack a lot of these words that 
that are either confusing or confound jargon that we don't understand as people who aren't building blockchain technologies, MetaMask, yep. ERC20, Web3, <laughs> DApps, like all of these things that can um, intimidate people when they're coming to this space. We'll dive into all that um, afterwards. Sure. So let's talk about the concept a little more. Um, you mentioned incentivizing like open source contribution through currency, mm -hmm. right? Really through a, a programmable currency. Mm -hmm. um, what does that look like? The the obvious one is bug bounties. Mm -hmm. um, is bug bounties in terms of the model of payment, the end all be all of Gitcoin, or is it just getting started? Yeah, I mean, I think that we're focused on um, incentivization on any GitHub issue. Uh, but that said, there's specific types of issues that are more easily delegatable than other other GitHub issues. You know, obviously, if you're kicking off a, a large epic or a large project, you don't want to delegate that just to the crowd uh, because that's going to need central architecture and the left brain talking to the right brain on that project. Right. Uh, so, so we'd like to say that any any issue uh, where the ROI is high of crowdsourcing it is a good issue to put on Gitcoin. Uh, and I think you gave the example of bug bounties, uh, and and I think that that's a great place to start, provided that the README is up to date, uh, the code base is well tested, and uh, the issue is reproducible. All of those things make it very easy to specify uh, a bug that needs to be fixed. And uh, those type of issues are really delegatable out to the crowd. Mm. What are the kinds of projects that would be able to fund? Or, I mean, in other words, you're, you're creating a marketplace, right, of, mm -hmm. of workers and payers, and you're using cryptocurrency as the, as the mechanism for payment. Mm -hmm. But that's not necessarily generating the money, right? So, like... If I have an open source project and I have some stuff that I want done on it, and maybe it's really valuable in certain ways, but not necessarily, you know, I'm not a big business or I don't have uh, a stack of cash on me, I can't mm -hmm. really, I can't incentivize work on that based on Gitcoin because I don't have any <laughs> coin, right? So right. who's going to be bringing the money to this platform? Because it's it's classic, you know, two-edged network problem of uh, mm. of chicken and egg. You need to have you need to have bounties. You need to have money there for developers to be interested. You have to have developers for people with money to be interested. So, yeah. how are you going to bridge that gap and bring those people together? Yeah, I mean, I think that starting a double-sided market, as you noted, is kind of a chicken and the egg problem, right? So. Uh, so how is Gitcoin going to do that? Uh, so there's the short-term strategy and there's the long-term strategy. Uh, the first, I'll start with the short-term strategy just to, so you can see how we're getting the, the wheels turning. Uh, Gitcoin uh, has now partnered with Consensus, which is a large, large blockchain venture studio based out of uh, Brooklyn, New York. And uh, they also happen to sponsor some of the best projects in Web3 in the Ethereum ecosystem. Projects like MetaMask or Truffle or Consensus Diligence, uh, Grid Plus are uh, using Gitcoin to incentivize action on their repositories. Um, mm. and, and you know those names might not mean a lot to a lot of your listeners, but if you're in Ethereum, then then those are those are A-list brands. And so um, I think that having Gitcoin being used on some of those uh, some of those amazing projects, some of those foundational projects. 
has really started to uh, to juice the uh, the wheels on the double sided market. And right now, uh, since we're all in the same portfolio blockchain blockchain venture uh, fund, due to all being involved in consensus, um, there's kind of uh, a, a, I don't want to use the word synergy, but I'm just going to use it because it's can't, I can't <laughs> think of anything it. else. Don't do it. <laughs> synergy. <laughs> <laughs> There's a synergy there where we place bounties on their issues and it gets more issues to get or gets more users to get coin uh, and it also pushes their repos forward. So that's how we're getting it started. Uh, but the long term vision is uh, to sell into projects that are cryptocurrency based and um, to, to let them see that, uh, you know, if you're a project that just raised an ICO of $10 million dollars and uh, you know, a token sale of $10 million and you've got some ether to spend and you're trying to hire up, uh, Gitcoin is a great way to augment your development team with a uh, crowdsourced task. And it's also a great way to recruit because uh, everyone I know who's recruiting software engineers likes to do a little test pilot project with them uh, and, or at least some sort of technical interview to see what it's going to be like working with them and what better way to figure out what it's going to be like to work with someone than to work with someone on something that's actually on the roadmap and mm -hmm. uh, as opposed to something that just approximates what the working conditions would be like. So um, that's that's the, the short-term view. And then the long-term view is that uh, Gitcoin is building up a suite of tools that uh, are, are meant to help incentivize work in open source software. And uh, in the future, it will not just be uh, paying money in return for directed action on your repo. We'll actually allow repo maintainers to raise money using their GitHub repos. And uh, the first mm. step that we've, that we've taken towards that is by partnering with Codesponsor.io. Uh, and Eric Berry, who is the CEO over there, has done an amazing job of building an ethical advertising network for open source software to allow repo maintainers to make a little bit of money off of the value they've created for the world. So I think that that project pairs really well with Gitcoin in that uh, repo maintainers can raise money with code sponsor and then potentially uh, spend that money on on pushing their repo forward. Mm -hmm. Very cool. That's exciting. We're uh, we're big fans of code sponsor and friends with Eric. So happy to hear that that's going down and he continues to be able to work on that project, which otherwise looked like it was going to stall due to, uh, you know, limitations on, on GitHub's platform. So that's mm -hmm. very cool. Um, have you considered, so you, you, we mentioned like directed action and it makes tons mm -hmm. of sense to me that your prime place to get people to bring, you know, uh, funds to the platform is blockchain companies mm -hmm. because like you said they've a lot of them have a lot of dispensable money that they may or may not have earned through <laughs> displaying uh, the abilities or future potential of their networks and products um and like you said they're also looking for people with uh, applicable skills what yeah. about security audits because that is a a necessary thing especially now that more and more of these uh, developers who are working on these projects are writing code that directly moves money in and out of the people's pockets. Surely yeah. security audits are gonna become more and more essential as more and more companies have programmatic money. Have you considered yeah. Gitcoin as a potential platform for you know, soliciting audits and that kind of stuff? Yeah, uh, and 
Yeah, I mean, just to take a step back before I answer your question, it is horrifying to go from web development where the worst thing you can do in the world is like drop a table in your database or like send an email erroneously to a place where you're moving tens of thousands of dollars programmatically using your code. Yeah. I mean, I think that that's a conceptual leap that uh, if you're coming from web development, then uh, then it, it's, it's sort of like a skill that we as a generation of software engineers needs to build. So um, I think you framed that really nicely when you when you said that uh, these smart contracts are moving around a lot of money. But uh, mm -hmm. to answer your question, uh, the the applicability of Gitcoin that we've seen has been around security bounties uh, in this area. So basically what you do is you put out uh, a bounty for, let's call it two Ethereum, which is worth roughly $2,000 right now. And you say, uh, I invite anyone in the community to find a security hole in my product and according to the OWASP model, if you find a critical bounty, then, or sorry, if you find a critical issue, then you earn out the entire bounty. If you find a major one, you earn out 60%, et cetera. Um, I think that when you're talking about security audits, which are more of like a, uh, you, don't, you don't really want the crowd working on a security audit. You want someone who's uh, right. got a lot of experience with smart contracts and you probably are better contracting with consensus diligence in order to get that done, I think. Mm -hmm. That's an interesting take too on on funding open source because like you know traditional models have been um, you know here on your homepage you've got find funded GitHub issues which is the exact mm -hmm. reversal of like hey just give a community or a project or several maintainers just money and hope they do well with it where this is mm -hmm. actually funding directly. Uh, not so much somebody buying issues because somebody could just say hey you know project here's Ten thousand U.S. dollars, convert that to uh, ETH or Bitcoin, and fund whatever issues you need done. Like this is an interesting model of like funding the work rather than like mm -hmm. just you know hopefully giving money altruistically or charity wise. And mm -hmm. you know what I mean. Like this sort of like puts value on the table on on both ends. You know, monetary value for those doing the work, but at the same time, ways for open source to thrive and move forward in terms of progress. Yeah, and I think that one of the things that's really important in the Gitcoin model is that the people who are funding the work are aligned on the roadmap with uh, the leaders of the repository. Like, there's a Venn diagram there of the incentives and um, the the governance of the repo. And the ideal case is that that Venn diagram has heavy overlap. But I mean, I think that the the macro trend that you're seeing with Gitcoin and some of these other projects that incentivize software development is the unbundling of corporate sponsorship of open source software. So, uh, you know, there's the Red Hat Foundation and there's the Apache Foundation uh, and there's all these other corporate sponsors of open source software. What if you could, uh, what if you could unbundle those business models and allow the crowd to uh, sponsor open source instead of uh, just having corporate sponsorship uh, of open source? And I think blockchain allows you to manage things a lot more granularly than mm -hmm. uh, the legacy financial system does. Mm. Yeah, I mean, I think from a developer's perspective, eventually you may find, if we find success with this model, a potential race to the bottom in terms of mm. uh, we're commoditizing our, our work to a point where it's uh, not worth as much, which, you know, maybe that's just the, the fact of life, but that seems mm -hmm. like a potential downside for developers is now you're you're basically... Uh, not necessarily bidding, it's not an auction for these things, but you have the projects placing the value 
and more and more people coming to that. Now you have people, you know, the competition gets stiffer, which will be fine. But then the other side of that is you have kind of a local maxima problem where the the work that is going to be done needs to be very uh, small chunks and very well specified. And it's never the big picture stuff, kind of the, like you said earlier, Kevin, that your left brain and your right brain talking together. Mm-hmm. You can't, it's difficult to crowdsource a vitalic buterin to do his job, that kind of a thing. <laughs> yeah. So your thoughts, your thoughts on those? Yeah. I mean, I think that that's, uh, that's, that's a great point. Um, and the commoditization of work is something that I think about a lot because, uh, Gitcoin is a fairly mission driven project and it's built by developers for developers. And I'd like to think that we're building into a world that, uh, developers, is going to be better for developers that developers want to live in. And there's sort mm-hmm. of like the, the upwork problem or like the top coder problem where like you're basically racing to the bottom to bid for, for, for work that's not priced very well. And so we're taking steps to, um, to make Gitcoin a place where people can, can build their careers and build their portfolios and gain leverage over their lives. Um, and I think that like one major step that we've taken since we last talked uh, about about Gitcoin is uh, is taking a stand against spec work, which I think is uh, spec work is just basically like you turn around work for uh, a bounty submitter and you uh, you might get paid or you might get not get paid. So it's called speculative work. So we're trying to do a better job of allowing someone to to claim a bounty and then have like a semaphore, like a lock. So that they're not, uh, you know, they're not, they're not doing spec work. And and the other thing that uh, we're looking to do is to branch Gitcoin from just being bounties and tips for open source softwares to being an entire suite of tools that allows you to be successful in this new blockchain centric world uh, where the the work work is unbundled from working for a company and more centric around uh, what project am I working on and what issues am I working on this week? And uh, a couple products that you might see come from us that are meant to support the community in that vein in the next several months are uh, a, a mentorship tool. So if you're a junior developer and you want to get paired up with a senior developer, someone who has experience in blockchain, then uh, we will, we will hook you up with that. Uh, we are also looking at uh, putting together a project, uh, like a co-founder matching sort of system. So basically, if you're a technical person and you need funding for your project, if you're a funder and you're looking for a mission to get involved in, then uh, Gitcoin has a lot of candidate flow and a lot of developer flow right now. So Gitcoin can can hook you up with people who can help you advance your agenda and advance your career in the in the longer term. But uh, those are all things that are on the roadmap, and it's an evolution that we're looking to go through in Q1 and Q2 of this year. I actually think that that suite of tools addresses my other statement as well regarding the... Small chunks, uh, I think. Yeah, the small chunks, and as well, I mean, I guess the point I was trying to get to is there's certain developers or certain minds that the mm-hmm. best model for them is to find... A, a sponsor or a, a group of sponsors and that mm-hmm. allows for them to just work and just do their thing and the the world will be a better place if that just happens you know and yeah. uh and so maybe you know with a suite of tools 
Um, you know, you're not just bug bounty, you're not just tips. You have this mentorship mm-hmm. thing, you have co-founder matching. Suddenly you're like a Tinder for developers. Oh, that's crazy. Uh, cool. And, you know, perhaps there's even space for different kinds of scenarios to be built into mm-hmm. the platform. So I think that answers it. Yeah, I mean, I think what we're doing is we're basically building the emergent future of work. Uh, and if you think about the the legacy model of how people find work, it's it just seems very broken to me. I mean, I wrote this this whole series of blog posts about two years ago about how recruitment for software engineers is just fundamentally broken. I mean, you get this spam message from someone on LinkedIn who barely understands your profile and barely understands the job that they're pitching, and they get paid out 15% of uh, the first year's salary of that engineer in exchange for uh, getting getting that recruitment task turned around. And I just think that uh, you're fundamentally better off when you have the people that you're working with involved in finding work and, uh, and matching those people up directly. So I, I think that what we're looking to do is disrupt the way work has been done traditionally in large corporations and uh, and bring that more in sort of like a granular blockchain direction. This episode is brought to you by our friends at Linode. Everything we do here at Changelog is hosted on Linode cloud servers. Pick a plan, pick a distro, and pick a location. And in minutes, deploy your Linode cloud server, drool-worthy hardware, native SSD cloud storage, 40 gigabit network, Intel E5 processors, simple, easy control panel, VMs for full control running Docker containers, encrypted disks or VPNs, 99.9% uptime guaranteed, 24-7 customer support, 10 data centers, 3 regions, anywhere in the world they've got you covered. They also have cloud.lino.com which is an open source single page application. Find that at github.com slash slash manager. Plans start with one gig of RAM for five bucks a month or high memory plans at 16 gigs. Head to linode.com slash changelog, get four months free with their basic server, $20 in hosting credit. Once again, linode.com slash changelog. Kevin, why don't you tell us how Gitcoin works uh, from a user's perspective, and then we'll talk about from a technical perspective after that. Yeah, sure. Uh, So Gitcoin, uh, as we mentioned before the break, is a double-sided market that allows you to crowdsource work on any GitHub issue. So uh, if you are a repository owner or a maintainer of some sort, you can go to gitcoin.co, click on the fund issue button. And when you paste in a GitHub issue, we will preload a bunch of different metadata about that issue, like the title, the description, the keywords associated with the skill sets that you would need in order to turn around that issue and uh, provide you with a nice little fund issue button that you can click and that will submit that funded work to the blockchain. Uh, And once that funded work is on the blockchain and you've staked some ether, 
or some uh, Ethereum-based token uh, associated with the work that'll get fished out to the Gitcoin Issue Explorer. And uh, the Gitcoin Issue Explorer is the repository of work that bounty hunters can turn around. Uh, can turn around. So we've got a community of about 2,000 uh, software developers who are looking to learn blockchain, who are looking to make Ether uh, or Ether tokens in exchange for doing software work. And, uh, and from there, they can claim the work turn around the uh the work and uh they can get paid out in exchange for for turning around the work and so that's like sort of like the end to end of mm -hmm. the use case but the 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 outcome for both parties is that the repo maintainer got some work that was on their roadmap turned around uh and the bounty hunter makes some ethereum adds to their their git github cred uh also their gitcoin reputation and they also have formed a new relationship that could lead to future work or maybe even a full-time job in blockchain. So that's sort of like the the end-to-end -end of the bounty flow on Gitcoin. Very cool. So I'm looking at the issue explorer now. And for, for the listener's sake, Kevin and I have chatted a while back, maybe about a month, month and a half ago. And it looks like you got a lot more open issues uh, today than you did back then. So congrats yeah. on getting a little, little bit of progress on that front. Thanks. Yeah, I think uh, the the statistic is fifty thousand dollars has been exchanged on the platform over the last couple months, and uh, we didn't even realize when we passed that milestone. Our community guy was saying, "Oh, we should have celebrated," but uh, I guess we'll have to celebrate once we cross a hundred k. There you go. But on the technical side, as you load up uh, in the top left corner, I don't know what yours, Adam, but mine says Web three disabled. Yes. Please install MetaMask. So here's where we. Where web, whatever the current web is, meets this new Web three thing. Uh, tell us about this and and what Web three is and why I need to enable it to to use Gitcoin. Okay, yeah. So um, Web three is uh oh man, I gotta like take a deep breath because it's just like <laughs> cool once us. you start going into blockchain, you're just in the rabbit hole of right. this this whole world. But uh. <laughs> Yeah, hold hold on to your butts because we're about to go there. Uh, so so Web three is what the Ethereum community calls our vision for the web uh, when all of, when 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 the web is blockchain enabled. Uh, so uh, just to unpack that a little bit, you have uh, when you browse the web, you're using a web browser. Um, I'm a big fan of Google Chrome, but uh, I also have Brave and I have Opera and Safari installed. Uh, and those applications are great at making HTTP requests to a server and then re receiving a response and rendering all of the HTML, CSS, JavaScript, that kind of stuff. Um, and in the Web3 model of the world, uh, specifically uh, the Ethereum Web3 model of the world, your browser will become blockchain enabled. And what that means is that it can read from and write to the Ethereum blockchain. Uh, and that's an important capability for a browser to have in the Web3 world because the Ethereum blockchain is a, uh, a, a store of value and a store of information that can be shared across uh, the, entire, the entire internet. Um, it allows for something called uh, FAT protocols, 
which is just basically a way of saying that uh, Gitcoin can share bounties information with uh, I don't know, the Bounties Network is another bounties project that's out there. Um, and what this does, the reason why it, it's pretty neat for it to be on the blockchain is that it prevents us from having vendor lock-in for our data. Uh, so, I mean, if you think about like some of the problems with Web2, or at least in my opinion, some of the problems with Web2 is that uh, your social network is locked into Facebook. Uh, your search history is locked into to Google. And if you wanted to transfer their, them to somewhere else, then it wouldn't. it's not self-sovereign. You can't just go to a different social network and take your Facebook social graph with you. And I think that this is a real problem if you look at the prevalence of uh, hacks that have happened, uh, particularly like if you look at the Equifax uh, the Equifax hack that happened about six months ago, uh, you as a consumer don't have self-sovereign control over your identity. Uh, and in the Web3 world, you will because there's these fat protocols uh, where the data is stored on the blockchain in a way that can be migrated from site to site. And you as a user have control over your identity and who you want to give that information through through your Web3 enabled browser. So um, I know I just took you all through the rabbit hole of, of what some of this means and what it could potentially mean. But like the TLDR, uh, like the, the sum is that uh, if you install a browser extension called MetaMask on your Chrome, Brave, or Opera browser, then that will give you Web3 uh, capabilities in, in the web browser that you already know and love. Mm. So is Web3 an Ethereum thing or is it a blockchain thing? <sighs> you know, it's like you're in, you're in a car and you like take a look over your shoulder and you almost like don't know your own, your own blind spots or I don't know. I actually don't even know where I'm, where I'm going with this analogy. <laughs> I, this is like, sounds I, yeah, I, I, I think I screwed up the analogy, but I, I think I don't know what I don't know. Cause I'm so Ethereum has 30 times the developer interest that the next biggest smart contract platform has. So, I mean, like, Maybe there's other projects that have this vision of Web3, but Ethereum's kind of, by and large, the one that's got the most momentum towards building it. And mm -hmm. I also don't pay attention to the other platforms because I just think Ethereum's becoming the emergent standard for this. For this, So so I guess this is a long way of saying I don't know, but who cares if it's not Ethereum? Okay, I mean, I, I think there's... You know, maybe, maybe tunnel vision was the analogy you're trying to apply there, or maybe that has more of a negative connotation than you'd like to apply because I mean, <laughs> it, it seems like, and I'm getting now from the technical details to kind of more philosophical once again, but um, it seems like you, you're saying that you're, there's these silos of information and they live on in these, you know, in, in your Facebook and your Twitter and your, in your Gmail and like yeah. the web three is this, this, you know, freedom of my data to move about and, and these other things as well mm -hmm. as like basically payments involved. Um, but if it's all on the Ethereum blockchain, then I'm basically just moving from one silo to somebody else's silo. And, and Ethereum is definitely the, the in initiator of the smart contracts movement and the very first mm -hmm. thing of its kind, but rarely is the very first thing of its kind, the only thing that has success in that space or yeah. even often not even the main thing 10 years from mm -hmm. then. So I'm just wondering 
if like the web three is very much like Ethereum people are doing this, or if they're trying to like bridge all the blockchains or, or yeah, just ask. Well, I mean, I think yeah, no, I mean, I and I think it's good to have this this check on our, our the Ethereum vision. I mean, I think that one of the powerful things about blockchains is that if you don't agree with the governance. Uh, of them, you can fork them, just like you can fork a GitHub repo. If you don't believe in the product roadmap or the product maintainers, you can you can fork it, and you can do the same thing with uh, the blockchain and just create your own. You know, I could create Kevin Kevtherium uh, and do whatever I want. And the more people that agree with my vision in the world, the more people will follow my fork instead of Vitalik Buterin's fork. Uh, right. So I mean, I think that. You know, it's a little bit apples to oranges to compare Facebook's and Google's data silos where they've built this like business model off of spying on their users and they're not going to give up that data. Like they're going to hold on to the doorframe on the way out, whereas Ethereum is built around this open model uh, in which anyone can fork it. So I think that the, the, that's a primary that's a, yeah. a primary difference there. I think the law, the line I was drawing is more along portability, not necessarily like evil intention, but I definitely agree with you that those are definitely two different things. Let's yeah. talk about MetaMask because it says Web3 is disabled. We'll get back to the technical side and also yeah. maybe the adoption side. Um, because when it comes time to Web3, we talk about like you have your normal browsers and then now we have Web3 browsers, which mm. aren't, don't really exist. So MetaMask is a Chrome extension. So Sure. You know, please install MetaMask. So right now, to ride the Web three, the Ethereum based web, mm -hmm. you're basically talking browser extensions. Is that ever going to be really adopted to a point where it could be, you know, yeah, big? Uh, I mean, I I'm sort of here to to shill Ethereum, so I'm going to say yes. <laughs> but uh, he's but honest like, at least. Yeah. It is. <laughs> More seriously, so I mean, I think that you know, when you look at any new technology, it's all about drivers and barriers for consumers. Mm -hmm. So, you know, one of the big drivers for people getting into blockchain is they want to get rich. Like, in you know, I've purposefully not talked about the price of any of these assets on this blockchain because it's just like not something you know, it's it's not our niche and it's not something that uh, that I think is the best use of of, of our time. But mm -hmm. I think that it is, you know, when people read the, the articles about the price that you see the press writing uh, bring a lot of people in. And uh, and once they're in and sort of learning about this rabbit hole of, of blockchain, hopefully their incentivization moves from uh, just getting rich quick to seeing this whole vision of the Web3 world that uh, has less intermediaries, uh, has... Um, you know, it can, can disintermediate uh, the financial system. And I think that like the potential that, that, that I sum up the drivers uh, in this ecosystem is like, I think that blockchain can do to the financial industry what Napster did to the recording industry. Like that's how big I think this, this could pot potentially be. Uh, and so like, that's how I, I like to sum up the, the driver's side of the equation. And then the barriers side of the equation is just like, how freaking hard is it to use? And the answer, right. like, you know, and this fits into your question about MetaMask, like MetaMask is beautiful. It's this, like, they've got their logo is this like polyfill Fox that follows your browser, like your cursor around. And it just looks very nice and polished, but you still have to install it in Chrome. 
And the answer in 2018 is, yeah, it's kind of a pain in the butt to install this onto Chrome. But uh, we're building a platform for the future of the web and the time horizon uh, for what we're building is 10, 30, 50 years. And so I think that you're going to see adoption increase. Uh, if you build the right products for the next five years, you're going to see adoption massively increase over that time scale. Yeah, I don't know about you, Adam, but when I see install MetaMask, I'm just like close tab. I'm yeah. done. And I'm an early adopter. Yeah. Generally speaking. Well, I guess it depends on your real reason. Like if we're just here as journalists, you know, doing a podcast, you know, maybe close tab. But uh, just kidding. <laughs> it kind of depends <laughs> on your on your motives, right? Because but any sort of hurdle that is like above and beyond the norm of like everyday Internet as we know it, it's probably like. Yeah, I'll wait till I hear feedback from really close friends or a really good mm -hmm. article from said thought leader and then I'll dip my toe in. So maybe right. we need some of those to say, hey. Or a killer app, right? Like well, something yeah, that's so compelling. Something that drives you. For developers, Gitcoin could be that because like I said, you could get paid, which is what I think Kevin's speaking to is like, well, there's good money to be made here. And so that's a great driver for people as we see mm -hmm. people talking about price action are mostly trying to make money quickly. And so that could be a motivating factor. Um, or some sort of website that you go to and everybody's talking about, and it's not like a crypto kitties type of a thing, but it's like actually like somewhat revolutionary and just says, you know, install MetaMask. And at that point you're like, yeah, I really want to use this thing. I guess I'll, I guess I'll do that. So, um, is a browser in the works then at some point, do you think Kevin, uh, or is this like you'll just leverage the, the you know the fact that Chrome and others are out there and you have extensions? Yeah, I mean, I'm not. You know, the, the honest answer is is I don't really know. Uh, there's 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 the Mist. You know, the Mist browser is the Ethereum native one, and I think its adoption is like 0.0001% or something like that. But it's more of a reference. Right, client. So that's not a good direction to go then. Yeah, I mean, I, I to be honest, I I don't know what penetration is going to look like in the next several years. And yeah. one of the routes that we've thought about going is having a custodianship model of, of your funds on Gitcoin. So basically, uh, you know, in this hypothetical version of the world, uh, Gitcoin would hold your private key, do all of the Web3 bridge stuff, and then you could just interact with it with a deposit or a withdrawal function on your uh, like on on gitcoin.co so i mean i think that that's one direction where things might go and i think that the big question that's up in the air right now is how much of this blockchain enabled functionality do we want to put in the end user's hands yeah. uh into the pros even in like a prosumer's hands and how much do we want to hide from them and just have blockchain in the back i honestly think that that model makes a lot of sense for the short term because you know people are especially with small amounts, you know, like if I want to sign up for Gitcoin, maybe I make half an ETH mm -hmm. this week and maybe at one, you know, we're talking like hundreds and then maybe thousands of dollars over time. Of course it would build up, but then you could just transfer out. I mean, people trust exchanges, like you said, with a custodial model for mm -hmm. small amounts and small amount of times. Yeah. And it greatly reduces that barrier of people who are intimidated or, you know, don't want yet another extension or to use mist or, doesn't Brave have a lot of this stuff built in? I think Brave's an up-and-coming uh, yeah. browser that a lot of us nerds would be more willing to try. Mm -hmm. But yeah, I think that might be... I mean, we're not necessarily here to give you product advice, right. but 
Maybe we are. So that, that'd be a good idea. What to he's try. describing is very analogous to the freemium model of web apps. It's like you got to provide some sort of path to give people the option to try, and you can do it with limitations. You know, so in your mm-hmm. case, you can do that with say limited funds or some restrictions to protect both them and you, and incentivize them to take the plunge and install MetaBase or do whatever necessary hurdles or hoops required to become a full fledged Web three user. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think that like it depends on the you, you got to build the right product for the audience that you're going after. Uh, one of the reasons why uh, we're sort of making a strategic bet on MetaMask is that we're building we're building a product that's for open source software developers who, by definition, want to work on blockchain stuff. So, I mean, mm-hmm. if you if you're not going to install MetaMask on your browser and 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 use Web three, then you're kind of not willing to put up table stakes to to even be serious about this about the system, but as Gitcoin grows and we try to capture more Web two uh, projects, we're going to have to either adapt or the users are going to have to adapt, and uh, that's just a reality of consumer internet. This episode is brought to you by Google Cloud Platform and their awesome weekly podcast where Google developer advocates answer questions, get in the weeds, and talk to experts, customers, and partners about GCP. Here's a preview of episode 111 where Mark Mandel is asking Sam Ramji about products he's passionate about in the future of cloud. Are there particular like technical products that like we have or potentially may have in the future that get you like really excited? Anything you're, you're particularly passionate about right now? Oh boy! Um, I mean, okay. just pick one. Just pick I was going to say, like, <laughs> clearly, I'm not a very passionate person. I'm really lucky. I get to care about all the things I'm doing. There's a lot of really interesting things happening in terms of how do we take code, which is a, a developer's set of intents, and turn it into running production systems that developers and operators can both collaborate on. There's a whole chain of technologies there, both first-party technologies and third-party technologies. Third-party like Spinnaker that we've gotten into. It's an open source project that was started by Netflix, and we've gotten really involved in it. It's a really nice way to do multi-cloud computing. And all of these things really need to come back to giving developers control of exactly how they want their code turned into an artifact like a container, how they want it structured into services and pods, and where they might want to run it. So I think part of what brought me to Google is this core belief in open hybrid cloud. When I left Cloud Foundry, I had spent two years you know, committing all of my heartbeats to putting technology back under the control of the companies that use it rather than the companies that sell it. And part of what brought me here was Brian Stevens said, you know, our mission is to be the open cloud. I said, you must be kidding me. <laughs> that doesn't make any sense. Every hyperscale cloud provider is clearly an, an ambitious monopolist. Not at all, right? So when we look at this. So if you're looking to move to the cloud or generally interested in deeply technical cloud-focused conversations, check this podcast out. It publishes weekly, and you can subscribe in Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher, YouTube, and more. Head to gcppodcast.com and look for the big subscribe button at the top right-hand corner. Once again, gcppodcast.com. Thank you.
let's dive into the technical nitty gritty from an implementation perspective. And we'll talk more about MetaMask because you can tell us exactly how that browser extension that represents the user somehow as a wallet, I suppose, interacts mm -hmm. with Gitcoin specifically, but I'm sure it'll apply generally to, you know, Web3 websites. Right. Mm -hmm. Explain to us how how it works from a technical perspective, implementation of the Gitcoin, you know, website with MetaMask and the interactions between the browser extension and the website, and I'm sure there's servers and there's... Yeah. The blockchain tells how it all works technically yeah so i mean i think you can think of the blockchain in uh the ethereum blockchain as a giant distributed database and uh what the what the blockchain does is it allows you to manage trust between parties uh across the internet so um one of the reasons why that's uh why that's really powerful is um, we can store all the information about the bounty task on the blockchain, uh, and that can be the source of truth for all parties about the state of the task. So um, in contrast to a, uh, a legacy financial system crowdsourcing platform, like let's, let's say Upwork, for example, um, Gitcoin never actually is an intermediary that holds any of the funds between the bounty submitter and the bounty hunter. So when you uh, post a bounty to, to Gitcoin, you're actually submitting it to the Ethereum blockchain. And the funds that, you, uh, that you're associating with the issue live on the Ethereum blockchain, which is just a massive, uh, massive simplification over... Uh, the credit card uh, and legacy financial system where we would have to deal with uh, translations between currencies and having a legal structure associated with doing escrow and stuff like that. Um, so basically the task goes onto the Ethereum blockchain and uh, the, the way MetaMask works is it's just basically a Ethereum wallet that allows you to confirm that you meant to put that information on the blockchain. And the technology that powers MetaMask is actually RSA public-private key encryption. So mm. if you want to do a transaction to the Ethereum blockchain, you're signing it with your private key. And that's how the, the rest of the computers on this giant distributed database know that uh, the funds are authorized to come from you and uh, that the information actually came from you. So uh, it all goes out there into blockchain world, and then uh, other people can pick up the funded work and turn it around by submitting their own transaction to the blockchain, which claims the funded work on, on the platform. So uh, this all is functionality that lives on smart contracts on the, on the Ethereum blockchain, and uh, that's a pretty f powerful way of removing the need to have an intermediary, the need to do uh, international translation of, uh, uh, of currency. Uh, and the other powerful use case that this enables is the ability to pay your bounty hunters with tokens. So um, if you think about all, all these ICOs who have raised 10 to $20 million to fund their projects, uh, they probably have some ether on hand that they can use to incentivize actions out of their community, but they also probably have a native Ethereum token that they can 
used to incentivize work on their repo. And that's powerful because it allows them to uh, tie their incentives as repo maintainers with the incentives of the person who turned around the work because they both hold the same token that rises and falls with value uh, rises and falls in value associated with the work that's being uh, or the success or failure of of their project. So I think that that's a interesting use case that could never even exist in the legacy financial world. Mm. So Ethereum is the is the the network, and so <laughs> Ether is the token. But you're saying that people can use their own compatible tokens for their specific projects. Yeah, and in the the and that standard is called ERC twenty. Uh, ERC twenty is just it's like a, think of it like a Java style interface that defines functions like deposit and withdraw and transfer uh, and things of that nature. And so mm-hmm. you can basically mint your own token that uh, that can be used for uh, think of it like a software license for uh, a product that that you're putting out there. It's a unique scarce uh asset that you can put out on the blockchain very cool so you could actually post those on gitcoin as let's just say there's a log token and it's just for us it's only for us we have we have our issues and you can say it's this five log and then people will get paid in log and that and then that would be fungible with ether or do you have to like convert to ether before you actually post it yeah I was just like giggling over here a little bit because I'm a very visceral person. And I hear, I think of log and I think of like a little tree, tree stump or something like that. But, uh, but yeah, I mean, so uh, it's, yes, that's basically how it works. It's sort of a contrived example though, because like the, the right. tokens that are most valuable represent some sort of uh, enforceable right to do something special with the tokens. Like uh, your log tokens don't do anything other than have, a, a sort of like branding association with your project. Like the, in order to give the log tokens actual value so people would care about them, they could be redeemed for something associated with, with your project, ideally. Well, you're just assuming our log tokens don't have any value, but maybe they have all sorts of value that I didn't tell you yeah. about yet. Well, in today's ecosystem, I wouldn't be surprised <laughs> if, they, <laughs> if they went 10x. But uh, I'm cranking out a know, white paper tonight. And we're going to have true. logs in the morning. It's, uh, but, you know, I try to take a long-term view on this because I think it's really 1996 right now for blockchain. I mean, that's how mm-hmm. early we are in this, this, whole new, this whole new world. And the pump and dumps and all the, the tokens that are, that are just cash grabs are eventually going to get filtered out just because of the Darwinian nature of, of capitalism. But, yeah. uh, what's going to be left is the Facebook or the Google of web 3.0. Uh, well, I don't know. Invite me back on in 2025 and we'll see what happens. <laughs> we will. Yeah. I mean, I don't know specifically about, you know, web three and Ethereum, although it's definitely, like you said, has huge, a huge advantage and, and the developer focuses is on it. But my current take, and I've been watching this space relatively closely is that, uh, is it a mania and a price bubble and all that? Yes. Is it also like actually revolutionary technologies that someday will change the way things work? Yes. I think both those things are true. And so it's it's tough to see the long term when you're staring at the at all yeah. of the, the frauds and the scams and the people who like the bit connects and stuff that are, you know, yeah. going to zero while everybody loses their savings. But yeah. um, that doesn't mean there's not 
like there isn't real value underneath. And uh, I think there is. So that's my take. Yeah. And I, I largely agree with you. I mean, I think that, you know, another parallel is, is the internet bubble. And I think the key is to invest in the Yahoo uh, or the Amazon and not the pets.com. Uh, right. Uh, and, 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 you know, the, the internet bubble was a bubble, but it was also a fundamental shift in the way the world organizes its information. Um, and so I think that what we're seeing here is a fundamental shift in possibly a fundamental shift in the way the world organizes its, its, its finances. So I think that blockchain, what TCPI did, TCPIP did for information, there's the potential that blockchain will do for the financial system. And uh, there's obviously huge upside there, but uh, under the, the guise of upside, there's going to be the bit connects of the world or uh, projects that are just looking to hang on to the, to the trend. And, uh, yeah. what Gitcoin, actually, this is, uh, this is actually one of the, one of the reasons I started Gitcoin was to allow people to have the skills to, uh, to thrive in this new blockchain ecosystem. I think that, uh, educating people and, and helping them learn to use the tools and build meaningful relationships is how we mature the ecosystem. So it's, it's one of Gitcoin's missions. Well, let's actually let's let's go there then. So let's let's imagine a developer who would love to get on, you know, Gitcoin and and get paid. Um, pick an issue. Most of these are related to the Ethereum network, um, so they're going to have to have working knowledge of that. Here's I'm trying to pull one that would actually be good for a use case: multi-auth methods per resource. <laughs> these are hard to these are hard Sounds to parse. Simple. Yeah, these are hard to parse live on the air. Um, yeah. but let's just say they pick one out and it's for a specific, like, here's one that, that was posted by the truffle team. Mm. How does somebody get started? I mean, maybe you can even tell us about how you got started, although I'm sure it's better now than it was back then. It's been a couple of years yeah. of maturation, but you know, the jargon, the interaction with the browser extension, with the EVM, mm. the Ethereum virtual machine, writing a smart contract. What are the best ways that people can actually, you know, dip their toes in the water and, and see if this is the kind of coding that they want to do. Yeah, I mean, I think that uh, everyone's got different learning styles. Uh, me personally, I learned best uh, through immersion. So I went to hackathons. Uh, I read the Truffle docs. I built one of their like little tutorials. What's Truffle um, for the for the audience? Oh yeah, sorry, I'm still like saturated in this that uh, I forget that I'm using buzzwords even when. Uh, but anyway, so Truffle is like think of it like sort of like Ruby on Rails, but for the Web3 ecosystem. So it allows you to manage your smart contracts and your tests for them, uh, your migrations, your deployments, stuff like that. So it just makes uh, Solidity and smart contract programming way easier. Okay. So you said immersion, you, you went to the hackathons. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I think that uh, the number one value proposition that Gitcoin has for its users is uh, immersion in a community that's excited about blockchain. So if you join our Slack, uh, there's channels for Python, for Solidity, JavaScript, um, C Sharp, any, anything like uh, whatever programming language you, you're into. And there's people in there that are uh, excited about blockchain and helping you gain the tools in order to in order to be successful there. So, um, you know, I think that like that's the first place that 
that I would recommend people check out when they're when they're trying to get involved in Gitcoin. And then the second thing that uh, that you can do is you can go claim an issue out on the Issue Explorer, um, and that's just an opportunity to get paid to work on open source blockchain issues. And I think that uh, uh, mo the average hourly rate for a blockchain engineer on Gitcoin has been about $40, $45. So uh, if you're into making a little bit of extra capital while you learn a lot, then that's a that's another way to do it. That's an interesting perspective too, because like some people out there will be doing these things and uh, not really finding a way to, you know, financially gain right and this is one way you can do kind of what you just said there do something that you already kind of know a bit about use your mm -hmm. expertise but at the same time learn a bit more and mm -hmm. uh, and also get paid that's not something that you see often yeah i mean i think another piece of upside that's that's sort of important here if you're playing the long game you know is is the relationships that you're going to build in this ecosystem uh, because the people that you're going to meet on the gitcoin slack or when you turn around an issue for truffle are going to start uh, companies or important open source repos that could potentially be hugely important in this new blockchain-based ecosystem. So I think uh, that's one of the one of the upsides that uh, I think people should be focused on, in addition to the extrinsic monetary capital gain stuff. Yeah, it definitely feels like uh, an ecosystem which is burgeoning but small enough that you can definitely make connections. Like the projects, there, there, there is a some sort of a I don't want to call it like a symbiotic relationship, but there's like a an interesting I don't know like a crossover between open source and blockchain technology. So we're like most of them are open source projects as well. They're just like f open source projects that are f like have their financials either as the foremost thing or at least figured out right up front, and yeah. so they operate. You know, they have. They have issues with, you know, how they're going to run their governance and there's people trying different governance things. Mm -hmm. um, they have issues with how the funding all works and uh, um, then they have the code and who does what and the bounties. And I just, there's a, there's a huge crossover um, mm -hmm. between the two. And so it'd be familiar and yet different, I guess, when you, when you dive into those things. But I guess the, the point I was trying to get to at is when you get involved in open source project, and over time, you make friends, you know, like you said, you, you network and um, and there's a real community that forms. And in this case, that same thing can happen. And then the people who are building these things, because it is small and burgeoning, um, mm -hmm. can, you know, often can go on to build interesting and different things as well. Yeah. And I think like the, the key thing about Gitcoin is it's a way to get involved in the ecosystem when you're not exactly sure what your play is. Uh, mm -hmm. We've got a lot of people in there who have corporate jobs that they're looking to make a next move from, uh, or they're freelancers who are looking for their their next gig. But they recognize that blockchain is this new frontier that, mm -hmm. that could potentially be important. So um, you know, and, and it's only one way to do it. Like I, I'm going to the Boulder Blockchain Meetup tonight uh, to nerd out with people in the local community, uh, and there's going to be a hackathon, an Ethereum hackathon out here in Colorado called ETH Denver in the middle of February. Uh, and by the way, applications are still open. Uh, if this airs before January 30th, applications are still open. But there's a lot of people in the world who aren't privileged enough, like who aren't like 
privileged like I am and get to just go down the street and go to a blockchain meetup. So by providing an online hangout for people to figure out this ecosystem, I think we're going to help people immerse and, and be successful. Uh, and, and, you know, that's, that's really, that's what the mission is. It's to, to push open source forward and to help people navigate this new ecosystem. Well, I mentioned your updates to the website since the last time you and I chatted. You've also mm-hmm. slightly tweaked your, your mission statement, your tagline, which was push open source forward. And now mm-hmm. it's push open source repos forward. Slight change. Maybe we're looking, staring at the trees and not looking at the forest here, but just that was yeah. curious to me. I wonder what your, your shift in, in uh, motivation for adding the word repos in there was. Uh. I think you've stumbled upon an A-B test that we're running right now. <laughs> yes. I'm, I'm so, a B uh, test too then, because I've got that as well. You are. If you're gonna, if you're listening to the uh, to the podcast and you wanna you wanna tweet tweet us and let us know whether you like push open source forward, push open source repos forward, or grow open source, it's it's something we're trying to figure out mm. right now. Mm. Very good. Grow open source. I like them all. <laughs> that doesn't help me call the test though yeah exactly i think i would go for your original one just because it's just one last word and and it's implied sure. and also has a larger context because things might live outside of repos well if you're but, also reading into the language pushing sometimes can be slightly aggressive mm-hmm. right even if it's for the goodwill of the the person or the thing or the object you're pushing you know yeah. sometimes it's not even that's willingly true. being pushed so Ooh, yeah that's true I, I, I kind of like, you know, I, I think of open source, uh, I, I'm kind of leaning towards grow open source and it's because I kind of think of open, like growth is something that happens sort of naturally when you give it the right condition, when you give something the right conditions to grow. And I think that open source, like, well, obviously, like if you look at a map of how Linux has evolved over time, it, it kind of looks like a tree. But uh, mm-hmm. I like the analogy of the natural world just because, let's be honest, I live in Colorado and I'm kind of a hippie and I love spending time <laughs> outdoors. But <laughs> I actually, the more I think about it, I think I like grow open source too. All right. Yeah. I just, there, I switched my, I went to from A to C. I like C the most All on, right. my AB, on your ABC test. Well, Kevin, anything else uh, you want to chat about with regards to Gitcoin before we let you go? Uh, you know, I think like my parting thought would just be that, uh, the ecosystem is kind of crazy right now, uh, the blockchain ecosystem. And, uh, you know, if you hold on to your values and you focus on building and don't get caught up in all of the hype and all of the, the, the hubbub about price and just focus on building skills and, and making meaningful relationships, then that's how, that's how I advise people to to get going in this ecosystem. So build something meaningful. What about to those maintainers out there that are thinking, geez, I can find more support or find interesting ways to to leverage this new stuff happening out there and also fund issues or fund the future? Yeah, I mean, so uh, the way to get involved with with all of that is to follow Gitcoin on Twitter. We're uh, get Gitcoin. G-E-T-G-I-T-C-O-I-N or to go to gitcoin.co and sign up for the Slack channel. There's a bunch of smart people in there nerding out about blockchain technology, not the price, uh, and building great stuff. So uh, that's a way to get involved in the community. Cool. Kevin, we'll leave it there, man. Thank you so much for your time today. Thank you very much for having me. 
All right, thank you for tuning in to The Change Law this week. We love doing this show. And if you love this show, share it with a friend, rate us on Apple Podcast, tell them to go to changelaw.com and subscribe. Thank you to our sponsors, Red Hat and their awesome new podcast, Command Line Heroes, Linode, and the Google Cloud Platform Podcast. Also, thanks to Fastly, our bandwidth partner. Head to Fastly.com to learn more. Air monitoring is done by Rollbar. Head to Rollbar.com to learn more. And we host everything we do on Linode cloud servers. Head to Linode.com slash changelog. Check them out. Support this show. The changelog is hosted by myself, Adam Stokoviak, and Jared Santo. Editing is by Jonathan Youngblood. Our music is produced by Breakmaster Cylinder. Head to changelog.com to keep up. Subscribe today. And we'll see you again next week. Thanks for listening.